Anything good to report to kind of counteract the newspapers? <clears throat> One good thing, you know, I, I did read something good the other day. <clears throat> 52% of the world's population doesn't have the Internet. Man, that is good news right there. <laughs> I mean, really, isn't, that is good news, isn't it? Not to be exposed to the Internet 24-7. Not to get the same bad news over and over. Now, John would know, why does bad news trump good news, John? Do you, you, you ever think about that when you were editorializing? We expect good news and we always get the bad news, huh? Yeah. The good news is 52% of the world's population has no internet. But Microsoft and Google are trying to get rid of that, you know, I hope they don't make it. Anyway, uh, we're in the uh, Lord's Prayer, starting the Lord's Prayer, we'll spend a couple of weeks on that. So if you turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We'll take off. We're just going to look at the first couple of verses of of the prayer. After Orlando's introduction last week, just about being honest and and open and uh, trustful of God as we come. And we go right into the prayer then that Jesus instructs us to pray. So in verse 9, he says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I think, you know, prayer is, a, is an extraordinarily deep and broad and complex thing. And so we're going to try to scratch the surface a little bit today because uh, there have been a lot of volumes written on prayer. A lot of volumes written on prayer. I used to have a kind of a library of prayer. I had a bunch of books I'd collected over the years. And, and I'd read these books. And, I, and after I'd finished reading them, I'd feel like I was about that tall. Have you ever had that? When you read a book and you thought, man. I remember reading this guy. I wish I could remember his name. G.K. something. He was a he was like an he was like a itinerant evangelist back in eighteen sixty seventy something like that. What's it? No, it wasn't G.K. Chesterton. This guy was an American, and he was a he was a hick basically. I don't think G.K. Chesterton. He was a Catholic. He wasn't a hick. Anyway, so he would he would uh, walk around and he'd come into a town and he'd find a place to lay up literally. Sometimes he'd find a hayloft, and he'd go and lay up in that hayloft for three or four days just praying and agonizing before God for God's kingdom to come into this area, you know. And then he'd go walking around town, and, and uh, people would fall over in his shadow and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> and I think, gee, my prayers don't quite do that. You know? <clears throat> or then I'd read uh, Andrew Murray, you know. And Andrew Murray's books on prayer are just phenomenal. But they're, they're like, wow. You know, I can't attain to that, I don't think. I, I'm, not, I'm not that kind of a person. And, and certainly there's got to be uh, our personalities involved definitely in prayer. You know, not everybody's called to pray in the same way. But anyway, so eventually I just left all those prayer books in a church I served in their library. I thought, you know, I've read them all. That's, that's enough condemnation for now. And, and I moved on. And so God doesn't want us to, to feel condemned in prayer. He wants us to know that we're invited, but he wants us to know also when we pray. And so we're called to pray, and, and I believe we really need to set aside time to pray, don't we? We have to have time to brush our teeth. When you brush your teeth, well, when do you brush your teeth? You know, when you eat your breakfast, when do you eat your breakfast? You know, we, we schedule what's important to us, don't we? And we are to pray without ceasing, which, 
is hard to capture that understanding, you know, but it means to get back in line as soon as the opening comes up. But if we don't schedule time to pray, likely we'll never develop our relationship with God in prayer. We have to have some time to pray. So he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, you are in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I really, I like ESV, don't you? Instead of thoust and didst and wouldst and couldst and, and uh, thither and yawn. Anyway, it's just plain straightforward. And we, but they still leave this one word in there, hallowed, which means to make God's name holy, to, to raise his reputation up. And so we're praying for that. So... Uh, as we pray, we have to realize that, that really prayer is, I, I put kind of a, a uh, repetitive adjective description here, but it is the preeminent priority of followers of Jesus to be prayers. He was a prayer. And because he was a prayer, he was able and was enabled by his Father in the Spirit to fulfill everything that he's preaching about in this sermon, and especially the Beatitudes. He fulfilled all of those. And fulfilling all of those, then he goes to the cross and he pays the debt that you and I owe. And then he opens up communion with the Father to us, where we can call God our Father. He's still God, but he is our Father. And I've been, I've been reading some about the fear of God, which has always been kind of a, kind of a puzzlement to me. But, but also a, uh, a tremendous thought process. Anyway, I want to read to you Ecclesiastes. This is... This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says, and it really applies to prayer also. Chapter 5 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. That's an interesting thought in in prayer. Let, Let our words be few. And Jesus says, don't lay up a bunch of phrases, you know, like the like the Gentiles do, thinking that that's what really tips the scale. we got all those words out there, and finally God says, All right, good grief. You know? But instead of let your words be few, that is, think about what you're doing as you come before God. Think who He is. He's, he is our Father. He is our Father, but He is holy. And He never changes being holy because He came, became our Father. And uh, so we have to have this balance. You know, in the early church, it says in uh, Acts chapter 9 that, that things happened, God did great works, and the church was amazed. And it says they went on in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They had both of those things moving among them. There was always this tremendous reverence, this awe of the reality that God is holy, 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 and we are not except he's given us this entrance into his presence. And so they, they kept that in mind, and uh, the working of God among them caused that to be true. And one of the things that that drew out of them then was prayer. And so as we see that of God, that his name is to be hallowed and, and that Jesus has done that completely and thoroughly in what he did because he only came to do what he saw his father doing and say what he heard his father saying, and he came to glorify the name of the Father. So when you read in John chapter 17, which might be better called the Lord's Prayer, and you see the intercessory work of Jesus, which we'll read a few verses of that in a little while, uh, you see that Jesus came to glorify the name of the Father, and he says, I have glorified your name, glorify it again. And so we need to, we need to see that this is really becomes the bullseye of our prayer. Hallowed be thy name, that God's name would be hallowed in the earth, that it would be holy, that it would be sanctified before men. And so we become representatives of that. And in our prayers, we, we work toward that end. So we're made for communion, we're made for conversation with God. That You can make a real argument that, that that's exactly why God redeemed us, to have 
a friendship with us, right? To be reconciled to him. In the uh, third chapter of Genesis, you know, when, when Adam's trying to hide, which is a foolish endeavor, but anyway, he's trying to hide. And, and God comes walking in the evening in the cool of the garden. Like this was the habitual thing that they did in the evening. God would review with Adam what had been going on, get maybe instructions for the next day, visit about what Adam had enjoyed, you know, and Adam would be able to ask God questions about what to do with that acreage over here, you know, just on the, on the west side of the bark or whatever. But as they walked together, they had communion. Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. God took him, took him to his house. And so God really has redeemed us to have communion. He's redeemed us to, to have relationship with Him. He's redeemed us to be prayers, to be talkers to Him, and to listen back to Him. And so I used to, I used to kind of keep track of how much time I would spend in prayer. I don't do that anymore, but, and I'd have a place, a particular place, and, and I'd feel pretty good if I spent 30 minutes, you know. And if I only got 15 done, I'd think, oh, man, what's wrong with me, you know. But a lot of prayer is what? Hearing God, isn't it? It's a lot of hearing God. And so prayer includes our, our Bible reading, our meditation. We pick up God's Word and we, we begin to hear God's instructions. He speaks to us in His Word. You know, God speaks in a lot of different ways. Uh, but His voice is most recognizable and most plain in the Scripture, isn't it? You know, if you, if you broke down the percentage, I don't know what it is, but it must be like 90% of the time God's speaking to us out of His Word. Other times it's with butterflies, you know, and our children. You know what I'm saying? But most frequently and most powerfully God speaks to us what he's inspired in his word teaches us how to pray there he teaches us what's acceptable to him teaches us how to follow him teaches us how to turn back when we're going the wrong direction so our prayer time really involves a lot of listening a lot of listening and so we take up our in fact it gives us instruction I get ahead of myself too far so we're made for communion in his book the purpose driven life Rick Warren writes the first sentence you remember what it says it's not about you. How does that make you feel? You know, kind of shocker, isn't it? Because our culture says it is about us. I mean, that's all we ever get. It's about us. It's about what makes us feel good. If we do good, we feel good. If we do bad, we feel bad, hopefully. But, you know, it's not about us, except Jesus turns around and makes it about us and calls us in union with him to seek to hallow his Father's name. He did that. He wants us to cooperate with that, to bring praise and honor, to hallow the name of his Father. And so he makes it about us, and he says, as you do this, as you do this, I'll meet every need that you have. You won't have to worry about what you wear, about what you eat, about what you, where you live, about how you transport your... You won't have to worry about any of those things if you'll join with me in hallowing the name of my Father in heaven. And so Jesus does this perfectly, pays the debt for us because we haven't done it perfectly. We've broken that third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, but instead you shall hallow it. And when humanity didn't do that, when we didn't do that, Jesus did that. And his hallowing of the Father's name becomes ours by faith. And then he teaches us how to cooperate with what he's done. To pray and to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And there's no way that as followers of Jesus, we can fulfill Matthew six thirty three. seek first his kingdom and his righteousness unless we become prayers. There's no way to do it. Absolutely not. It's not enough to hear the directive of the pastor to say, okay, I need some volunteers on Saturday to do this, go and do that. You know, and we don't, we don't listen to God. We don't pray for God. We don't understand what God's about. We're just doing what someone over us is telling us to do. Well, there's a place of a line of authority, but we have to be personally relating to God, knowing what it is that we should even do. 
Because the pastor's going to call on us to do a lot of stuff, isn't he? You and I can't do it all. I was just talking to Steve. I can't do hardly anything anymore. You, got, you, got, you know how your energy budget shrinks over the years? Mine's down to like it's near the E. It's getting close to the E, you know. And so I can only do a few things. I really need to know what it is God wants me to do. And then I can pray that God would fulfill the other needs through the other people. Yeah. But I can't do all those things. So I need to be communing with God so I know what it is that I can get involved in to hallow God's name. What is it I can do? What can I do? What has God called me to do? What is he, in this season of my life, what is it God's called me to do? And so in prayer, I can do that. And I can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But I'm not praying. I, I have no idea. I just don't know. But if I'm a prayer, even though I may, you know, kind of bounce off of the sideboards a little bit, I'll be going the right general direction because I'm hearing God's voice and I'm following after him. So Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So in prayer, we're doing just that. So here's some general observations I was thinking about. <clears throat> prayer begins, in fact, I picked this up somewhere else. It's an old theological tune. Prayer begins with recollection. That is, we remember who we're coming before. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, let your words be few when you enter into the presence of God. James says, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So when we come before God, we recollect, who am I coming before? It's the God of all creation, the Holy One of Israel, the one who cannot deign to look upon sin, the one who sustains everything by the word of his power. And I think about that. I give that a little thought. I think, this is who I'm coming before. But I come before him, and I call him Father. Wow. Because of what Jesus has done, I call him Father. Is this an amazing thing, that my God is Father? And it's not, it's not so much a familiar term, although the word in the Aramaic would have been Abba, but even adult children in the New Testament call their fathers Abba. It's not, a, it's not like getting really familiar with God, like, hey, Dad, you know. It's not that. But it's the idea that, hey, he has adopted me by the price of the blood of Jesus and by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. This creator, the one who sustains me, who's been with me from the time I was on my mother's breast, who's contained me and who's brought me to this place safely, it's that God who's in charge of all things. And so we recollect what it is that we're doing when we come before God. Then in prayer, this has always been something. I think it was all the way back to Augustine and before him to the Old Testament. But prayer is really the measure of our spiritual life and our vitality. You know, our prayer life, that's who we really are when we're praying, isn't it? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Because we don't just typically sit around and, and be like Murray, you know, and say, let me tell you the worst thing I've ever done in my life. You know? But to God we do, don't we? To God we bring all of that out in the open. And it, and it doesn't even shock him. It doesn't surprise him. He didn't get a pig in a poke when he chose us. It's not like he bought a bag and he said, I wonder what's in that. Yeah. He knew exactly, not only our past, but our future. He knew all that about us. And so when we come before him, we're, we're more real. Our prayer life and our honesty before God speaks reams of who we really are more than anything else more than anything else we do it's really easy to teach and preach you know all you gotta do is read some books you know and think about some things make an outline and get up and do it that's easy d martin lloyd jones says everything else we do as a christian is easier than prayer yeah i can identify with that can you i mean i can really identify with that and yet it's it's the preeminent priority 
of our calling to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. We don't even know where to put our foot or to place our hand until we've talked to God about it, until he's given us direction. We don't, we don't know what to do. But he does, and he's glad to share with us the wisdom that he has in Christ Jesus. He's glad to, to bring us into that place where we abide and bear fruit, and our joy becomes complete. But we've got to pray. We've got to be prayers. And it sounds like I know a lot, but I don't. You know? I'm, just, I'm just kind of practicing. Now, you, you ever read the Richard Foster's book on prayer? You ever read Richard Foster? He's a very thorough Quaker theologian, you know, and he's very thorough in anything he treats. Well, he wrote a book just called Prayer. And in the, and he, I don't know when he, how old he was. You might know how old he was, Bruce. Fifties probably? Probably at least in his fifties. He'd been following Jesus for decades, teaching at universities, being a theologian, a pastor, you know. And he said, I've put off writing this book for so long. He said, I thought, who am I to write a book about prayer? And he said, still, I feel like I'm in kindergarten, you know. And so I guess everybody will always, that's honest, will always kind of feel that way because here we are where the complexity of prayer is that all the involvements of our life are brought before an infinite God and we're just plumbing the depths of who He is and bringing ourselves in contact with Him. And so that's, that's an ongoing process that, that will never know an end. But still, you know, we need some direction, we need some pointers. And so Richard Foster wrote a great book. So here's some aspects of prayer. This, I think it's Roman numeral number one on your paper there. It's personal, and it's a cooperative communion. That is, we are personally going to God in a vertical way. We're speaking to God, the one whom we've recollected about. But we're also called to pray together with one another. This is really a, a valuable thing, to be able to pray with a few other people or uh, to have the freedom to lead other people in prayer because this is what God really delights in. When I remember one time we were, we were praying the Lord's Prayer a group I had an altar service. This was 30-something years ago. We were praying individually for people's needs, and then we gathered together and we just prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And I remember that just a tremendous sense of God's pleasure I felt that came into that room and rested upon us as we prayed together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I wasn't praying ESV back then. You know, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I just sensed the Holy Spirit breathing upon us. How I take pleasure in this that my children would come together before me and seek my kingdom and my will. Okay? So this is a great thing. We don't always have to sense that. Most of the time I don't. But still God's pleasure is upon us when we pray that way. Okay? And so we have this invitation to pray. And we have God's presence when we do pray. And it's a communal thing. But it's also vertical. It becomes horizontal. We pray for one another's needs. So we, And as we do this... Uh, it involves these three things, really almost four. Recollecting God rightly, as we already mentioned. Thinking about Him as He is revealed according to His Word. Excluding false concepts of God. Those, those really will mess us up. We have to exclude false concepts of God, and we can only do that through the truth of His Word. That's why it's so important in our prayer that the Word of God informs us and directs us as to who he is and what his will is. You know, when we, when we pray the will of God, theologians for a long time have separated the will of God into two general areas. One of them they call the commanded will of God. That is what we have in the Bible. It tells us what the will of God is specifically. And there's a lot in there, isn't there? But there's a lot that's not in there. They call that the decree of God. That's things that Moses says, those are the secret things of the Lord our God. Things like 
predestination. We know there's such a thing as predestination, but we're not privy to the lot of the predestined, are we? Or how the election of the saints works in, in time before time. We're not privy to that stuff. That's God's decree. And we're not even supposed to try to peer into that. Somebody at one time, one of the guys that was eating supper with Martin Luther said, uh, Dr. Martin, he said, what was God doing before he created the heavens and the earth? Luther looked at him and said, he was preparing hell for people to answer, ask questions like that. <laughs> yeah. Now here's a, here's a big thought. Have you ever thought about, because we believe God's self-existent and eternal, don't we? Have you ever wondered about that? Wrap your mind around that. We don't have a mind big enough for that, do we? How can he be there when there's nothing? Yeah. So God, he, he, we're not privy to that. God says, don't you worry about that. That's not in your wheelhouse. Don't try to figure that out. Because I prepared, you know, you know so we, we have things that we know. We've got a lot of things we know that God has given us, his commanded will. And he says to pray this way, pray for these things. And so we're to be about that business, that his name would be hallowed. Then we're to, to, to ignore others. Now, this is a hard thing to do, isn't it? Why you're praying? Because when you're praying in a group, you're still praying to God, aren't you? And you're in agreement if one person's leading or if you ever pray in rounds. I used to, I grew up Pentecostal, and Pentecostals all pray at the same time. It's like, three, two, one. <laughs> you know? and, so, and so I was, I, be, I became a, a charismatic pastor, which is a kind of a, kind of a toned-down Pentecostalism in some ways, you know. So I'm pastoring this little church in Spearman, Texas, and I've got this, these older saints, just precious people that are farm people, and they live up north on the Oklahoma state line. And I go up there, I, I think it was like Thursday afternoons or something, we have a Bible study up there. Now there's like four or five of them, they're all like, 85, 90 years old, and they're still going, you know. And one of them I'd pick up. Her name was Grace, and she was just full of grace. And we'd drive up there, and so we'd talk, you know. May I get a little instruction, and we'd visit for a little while, have some tea or whatever, and then we'd pray. And it, it, they would all just start praying at the same time. And I grew up in that. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> I, can't, I can't concentrate, you know. So when we do pray, though, and we're in agreement with prayer, we have to ignore other people, don't we? Because the danger is we're all tempted to try to pray the best prayer. I remember when I first started praying corporately with any regularity. It was with a little Baptist church in Idaho when I was in graduate school. Wonderful family environment in this church. And we'd sit there on Wednesday nights. We had a prayer meeting around the table. And I remember there, it was a small church because Southern Baptists are not big in the Northwest. And so there might be a dozen of us or something there, you know. And we're sitting on the table, and as they pray around, I'm a young guy, you know. and I'm busy in graduate school, and so I, somebody pray over there, and I think, that's good. What can I pray? You know, so I'm thinking the whole time, what am I going to pray? But to really pray, we, don't, we have to not let our left hand know what our right hand's doing. So we have to ignore other people because we're addressing God. And it's good that they agree with us and that we agree with them. But we're not praying for one another. We're not praying for one. We're praying, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your name be hallowed. You know? So this is a, a thing that we have to do when we pray. We've got to ignore other people. We're not there for them. I mean, yeah. We're praying for them. We want them to partake. But we're not there for them. We're there for God, for His purposes to be realized. And then we pray confidently. And the reason we pray confidently is because we know who God is. And He's made this way for us. He's invited us. He even commands us to pray. 
Because he knows that his name is above all names, and it's right that it be hallowed, and he knows that we can only be complete, we can only be satisfied when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he doesn't want us chasing rabbits somewhere, thinking we're going to find satisfaction in something less than seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's not going to happen because he won't bless it. Okay? I think Murray was telling me he was doing a Bible study uh, this last week, and we were, we were visiting about his, his thought processes. I came into his office, we were sitting before we prayed, and he said, well, I'm going to teach this lesson on discontent. I said, I got some of that. Yeah. And really, we, we live, in a, in a sense, we live with discontent, don't we? But you know, Paul says that the regular Christian life is, is really seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he talks about pressing in, you know, and running toward that and laying everything behind him as he goes forward. And then he says, and, and he says, now this is for you too, and he says, and if anything you have a, no, a mind other than this, God will make it known to you. Well, how will he make it known? You'll be dissatisfied beyond your wildest dreams. That's how he'll make it known, that you're not pursuing the right thing. If you're not pursuing righteousness, you're going to pursue something, and those other things are always going to disappoint. They're going to be dissatisfying. And even the pursuit of God in this age is going to be dissatisfying to an extent because only when we see him face to face. But we've got to be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness now in order to see his face then. So we're called to pray, and that's a main element of it. So the content of the prayer is God's name be hallowed. Yeah, I just made some references there to Isaiah, but... Uh, God says his name is holy, he's high and exalted, he lives in eternity. But he condescends to dwell with those who are broken and contrite in spirit in order to revive and restore their hearts. And so God says, you know, I live way, way, way beyond you. I am infinitely beyond you. But I have in my son Christ Jesus and by my spirit I've condescended to lift you up as you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And he says, I'm not going to share my glory with anybody else. So it's interesting that Jesus is glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, isn't it? It's interesting that he shows up glorified in Revelation because God has said, I will not share my glory with anyone else. So obviously, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jehovah's Witnesses were walking down our street yesterday, and I, I came out of my hallway, and I saw them, five of them. Had little kids with them. I, was, I really felt sorry for them. Had little kids with them, and they were walking. They were kind of sh- skipping houses. This group would stop at that one. And so I went back in the back room, and I said, Denise, the, the JWs are going to knock on the door. I mean, I need you to go in there. <laughs> she said, no, I'm not. You did that to me before. And I said, did not. It was Mormons. <laughs> anyway, I said, all you got to do is go in there and say, Jesus is Jehovah to me. Jesus is Jehovah to me. You know, that's all you got to tell them. Jesus is Jehovah to me. Because God won't share his glory with any other. But Jesus was glorified. The Father glorified the Son because the Son had glorified the Father. Now, who could glorify God like that except the Son of God? So you can look at those references there. They're good. And there's some compound names I put on the back of your sheet. It's not on this one, but that uh, just some of the compound names of Yahweh, the covenant name of God, that uh, give you ways to, to hallow his name. So let's look, in, uh, let's look in John chapter 17, if you turn over there real quick. I want to read a few verses of that. As Jesus prays the night before he's crucified, and uh, it's amazing, an amazing prayer. I don't want to read too much of it, but I got verses 6 through 11 and 26. Look at that. 6 through 11. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. 
and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that I have, that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. And then verse 26, he says, I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus is praying. This is two of the words that he uses a lot here are about the word of God and about the name of God. And he says, I revealed your name. So everything that Jesus did, you know, what's in a name? Well, everything. And so Jesus is revealing the name of God when he heals, when he preaches good news, when he raises the dead, when he calms the sea, when he feeds the 5,000, when he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Everything that he does is a revelation of the name of the Father. And the name of the Father is a strong tower, Solomon says, and the righteous run into that name and are found safe. And so we have this revelation of the name of God that's a tremendous protection. Doubly shielded in Christ, in the Father, in the name of the Father, and Jesus has revealed that name. And it's a, it's a name that uh, was astounding, and it still is, you know. And Jesus, so he comes, and he says even specifically in the Gospel of John, it's one of the main, main themes, he comes and says, I am. I am this, I am that, I'm the door, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the light of the world. He says these things revealing that I am God in the flesh, and this is what God is like. And so, again, when we recollect that we come before a holy God who is to be feared because he is a consuming fire, we also come to him as the one who has sheltered us and taken us in as an adoptive father. And that condemnation is passed from us, but still we have this. Were you ever afraid of your dad? Yeah. My dad was hard to be afraid of. He's just, uh, he's just such a gentle guy. There's a couple of times I got afraid of him. You know? And rightfully so. He had a... He had a higher position than me. He had authority in the household. I was just a little kid, you know. Did something stupid. And then I would see the anger. Whoa, man, okay. You know, but I didn't doubt he loved me. You know. But still, this is God that we're dealing with. So we come to him as holy. And yet, we come at his invitation. We come by the opening that he's made in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see Jesus praying this way. It's just an astounding prayer that he would pray this way. This is the bullseye, the goal of all of our prayers, that God's name be hallowed, that his kingdom come, his will be done. We're praying. This is is what we're shooting for. You know, we do pray for other things. We'll see that next week. We have petitions for support for the needs that we have in life. But all of that support, the satisfaction of those needs, is so we can take that energy and that wisdom and we can push it back toward that your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. Yeah. So God's will will triumph over all things, but he wants us to be participants and partakers of that will as we go along. So the kingdom come, the will be done. I already mentioned that God's commanded and decreed will. And the kingdom of God is, Paul says in Romans, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're righteous by faith, you've got peace with God. And that brings tremendous joy, which becomes strength for living. And so we're praying for that. We're praying that that would be elevated. And and this, this cuts both ways, doesn't it? Because when we pray for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done, we're wanting that in our own life. We're wanting that for ourselves. God, I want your kingdom to come. I want, this, I want that to be internalized more and more, as well as expanding across the nations, you know, going into new places, going among new peoples. And as we pray this way, we're being 
subversive of the status quo. Okay. Prayer is really subversive. And so when we're praying, you ever wonder how come there's so many distractions when you're praying? One of the, one of the ways to avoid that in the age we live in is turn off your cell phone when you sit down to pray. Turn it off, you know. Don't just let it go blank. Just turn it off. Because otherwise I'm going to check. Let me check that score. <laughs> you know, let me see what the weather's like or whatever. I know you all don't do that, but I do. So, but there's all these distractions. There's all these things that try to lead us away from God. Because when we begin to pray, you know, you ever watch a war movie? I just watched this uh, series called The Pacific about the Marines stair-stepping their way to Japan. It's kind of like Band of Brothers, only it was the Marines versus the Army. And, you know, and, and so as they're, as they're going from island to island, island hopping, pushing the Japanese off, trying to get to the mainland, they have all these mortar teams. And, and they're, the, they're like the Marines' artillery. And so these guys are carrying these mortars, you know, and they set them up and they start lobbing these mortars into where the Japanese are. Well, you know what happens when you fire a mortar out of your spot? They locate you. They triangulate on you. When we pray, we're making ourselves visible to the status quo, to the God of this world, to the evil one. And we can expect incoming. He's going to come back at us. He's going to distract us with a score between that team and this team about what's on the weather. About, oh, man, i got to eat, you know, or something more diabolical. Temptations or condemnations or, you know, targeted uh, wrong information about God and his purposes. But we're, we can expect that. We need to expect that. It's going to come. Blessed are those who are persecuted. goes back to the Beatitudes. As we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, as we pray, there's going to be distractions. There's going to be incoming from the adversary. And we have to, to do whatever's necessary, which is to remain in Christ Jesus, to be protected from that. So the authority of prayer, I'm going to move along pretty quick here. We have this authority of prayer. We're informed by the Word of God. So when we need to know how to pray, fortunately we have the Word of God. We've sat in His presence as part of our prayer time, and God has shown us what His will is. And we pray according to that will. And there are so many good prayers. I've always thought it would be great to do a... Just do a book that's nothing but the great prayers of the Bible. Somebody's probably done it somewhere. I started thinking about doing that one time, and I thought, I'm too lazy for that. But there's so many great prayers and prayers in the Bible that really target just about everything that's known to us. Psalms is a tremendous example, but there are these prayers of Solomon's, of Daniel's, you know, of Nehemiah's, of Ezra's, of the apostles and the epistles, you know. There's all these great prayers. And so God shows us what his kingdom is, what his will is, and we can pray right along with those. So it's good to memorize some of the things of those. You know, I pray this one prayer out of Ephesians 3 all the time. Father, give us strength that we might know what is the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of your love to be filled up with the fullness of who you are. That's a great prayer right there, isn't it? Man. And Jesus prayed similar that way for us in John chapter 17. So the authority of our praying comes first of all from the reality that God has given us the inspiration of his word. He's given us that information. Then we're inspired by the spirit. We're called to, to pray in the spirit and to pray with our mind. You know, to pray with, at all kinds of prayer. We might even get charismatic. I remember reading a J.I. Packer book years ago and, and uh, I really liked reading his stuff because he really packs it in there, you know. And he says... Uh, he says, so we want to pray in every way that we can. For some people, that means praying in unknown languages. For other people, that means avoid that at all costs. <laughs> 
But he, the Bible just says, pray at all times in the Spirit. Paul says, pray for me that I might have boldness. Here's the apostle writing the gospel. He says, pray for me that I might be bold to speak the word as I ought to. Well, if he needs prayer, we need prayer. Yeah. And we have the Spirit of God inspiring us. We have him living in us and linking us with heaven. And so it's always good to know that because our prayers are, well, my prayers are. My prayers are kind of like, you know, but the Holy Spirit lifts them up into the presence of God. And they're joined in his throne room by the, the Son who's seated on the right hand. And we're covered by the intercessor. We saw the, the scripture in John chapter 17. We also see in Hebrews that it says, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Man, that's a great thing to think about, isn't it? He's living now. He's, he hadn't quit serving us. He's continuing to live at the right hand of the Father, representing us, being a mediator, and praying for us. This is an amazing thing to consider. And then Luke chapter 22, where Peter had this, that experience firsthand, you know, where he's, he's going he's gonna to go all the way with Jesus. And Jesus said, Ah, oh, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you. They might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Pete. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. How come Peter's faith didn't fail? Because of the intercession of Jesus behind him. Not because Peter was determined. Peter's faith would have petered out. I bet that's where that comes from, isn't it? Petered out. <laughs> His faith would have petered out. It, it, was, it was almost extinguished. He went back to fishing. But Jesus is not in the business of extinguishing smoldering wicks. And he says, Pete, I've prayed for you, man. Your faith is not going to fail. But when you come back around, you'll understand. It's not by might, it's not by power, Pete, but it's by my spirit. And that's exactly what Peter found out on the day of Pentecost. But it was all because of the intercession of Jesus. And if Jesus will pray for Peter, he'll pray for us, won't he? In fact, that's what it says in Hebrews. He ever lives, making intercession for us. And then... uh, did the end goal, God's kingdom, his will, realized the prayers of the saints. I don't really have time to go into this, but I'll, but I'll give you these references. In the fifth chapter of Revelation, uh, John is lifted up. There's a, there's a hole in the heavens, and he's lifted up. And while he's there, he sees the 24 elders, and he sees the four living creatures, and the worship that's going on around the throne, and he sees this scroll, this angel comes out of this scroll. And, and uh, John's thinking, this is it. This is, what, this is what I've been waiting for. All this other stuff, these letters to the churches, that's great stuff. Other things that God's revealed. Now I'm going to see the end. I'm going to see the fulfillment of everything. And then the angel says, there's nobody here worthy to open this. And John begins to weep. And as he's weeping, an angel says, wait, wait, there is one. And he looks over and here's this lamb. It's slain and yet he's alive. And he is worthy to take the scroll and to open it and to read it. And it says this angel that's standing by him has got, these, uh, he's got this incense and he's got this harp and he's got golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And that's some great imagery, isn't it? You got these, you got these angels. Now, angels are they're pretty awesome beings. And every time they show up in Scripture, people are fainting and falling over backwards and just freaking out. I mean, they're awesome. But they're creatures. And they are assigned. There's some angels up in heaven assigned. And they gather our prayers in golden bowls. So we're praying. We get up in the morning. We read a little bit. We're thinking. And we're praying for a missionary. And there's an angel up there. And he's gathering those prayers. We're praying, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And he's gathering those prayers. And he's putting them in these golden bowls. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? 
that these angels have that assignment. These tremendous beings that are in the presence of God who constantly are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and who was and who is to come. Oh, prayers. They put these prayers in these golden bowls. Later on, these bowls are going to be emptied out on the earth. There's going to, there's going to be an answer for all the kingdom comes, for all the will be done that have been prayed really from the time of Adam on. All that prayer that's going on. I saw this deal on Southwest Church of Christ. Denise wrote it down. And she's always got these sayings. She makes necklaces out of them, hangs them all around. And they had a saying this week said, uh, I heard your prayers. Wait for my timing, God. Man, that's a great one. That's one of the best ones I've ever seen on that signboard. I heard your prayers. Wait for my timing, God. Because we're praying, aren't we? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In Afghanistan, in the United States Senate, in my son-in-law's life, in my body, oh God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. God said, I heard your prayers. I've got them up here in bowls. Pretty soon I'm going to punish all the wickedness. I'm going to remove it from the earth. And I'm going to establish my kingdom and my will. And my name will be hallowed forever. And so we are praying that now. We can't afford to get distracted or to allow the adversary to pull us aside or to energize ourselves into something else. We need to be giving ourselves to God. And prayer is one of the preeminent priority ways that we do that. So we can't neglect prayer. We're not good followers of Jesus if we neglect prayer. And there's always more to learn in there. And so we just keep coming back to Jesus, back to Jesus, who in the throne of grace and of mercy gives us grace and mercy to help in the time of need daily. Let's pray together. Father, again, we, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word. Where would we be, God, if you had not revealed yourself, groping in darkness, trying to figure out some reason to be, to do? Father, thank you that you have shown us, and you've shown us perfectly in Christ Jesus, who though he was in your form, emptied himself and took the form of a servant. God, we thank you for him that he humbled himself, becoming obedient, even to death on a cross, God. That you would be glorified, that we would have a, a way to come to you, God. A true way, full of life. We thank you, Father, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of who you are. Father, we do that today. We do that today. You are Lord, Jesus. You are Lord. Be glorified, Father, in our testimony. Be glorified in us. God, in these earthen vessels, again, refresh us in your spirit. Let your transcendent power, God, fuel us, captivate us. God, we pray that you'd come upon us, that you would bless us. Bless your people in all the earth, God, until all the earth is full of your glory, God, from top to bottom, from east to west, from north to south, God, in every way and in every mouth. Father, we ask this. We ask to be participants in it. Participants in it, God, to be partakers of it. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.